All right, we are starting here. Three, two, one, go. Just a quick heads up, you're going to be trying a new format for today in the next few weeks. If you don't like it, please send us an email and let us know what you think. You can get the email on the contact page of IsaiahWellingtonMinistries.org. So, here we go. Without further ado, today's blogcast. So, the bottom line for today is this. Jude's letter is a short warning about false teachers with verses 3, 4, 16, and 19 being the most prominent ones. The reasons that these verses are the most prominent ones for us today is that they give us information about the false teachers, how they pervert the teaching and forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ and something else. Perverted teaching which acts as a permission slip for sinful living. Jude also gives insight into the condition of false teachers. They claim that they are secretly valued and appreciated by the world more than they care about God, for they are devoid of the Spirit. Over their blatant disregard for true and sound doctrine, divisions arise between followers of falsehood and the faithful followers of Christ. So, the letter of Jude is one that doesn't go more than 25 verses and can be read in roughly 5 to 10 minutes, depending on how quick you read. I believe that this is the only letter to specifically address the subject of false teachers. While the other apostles wrote letters and in them had to deal with false teachers, such as in Galatians when Paul asks who has bewitched you, or in 2 Peter when he addresses that the second coming hasn't happened as some are falsely preaching, but Jude was specifically prompted to warn us about them to let us know about their condition of spirit. As we look at the Bible, I find it strategic this book is placed right before Revelations. And Revelations is the found book in the Bible which tells us how this world will end. As the main things revealed in that book is that in the end, a false teacher will come who is far more effective than any who came before him. This false teacher will take captive the entire world through his teachings and the messages he says. So with this in mind, it feels a bit like God is saying to us, keep this in mind as you enter the time with many strong deceptions. So let's look at what Jude says at the beginning of his verse after he's given his introductions. So in verse 3 he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to be content. Sorry, I misspoke. Let me try that again. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So, that's what he says in verse 3. The word which means contend in the Greek is, I hope we do not pronounce this wrong, but is epagoisamai, which also means to fight for or to defend the faith that was entrusted to them. Now, you may ask, why do we need to fight for the faith specifically? And Jude continues giving us more information in verse 4, saying this, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immortality and deny Jesus Christ their only sovereign God and Lord. So I know we're doing a lot of Greek today, but that's because it's important that we know what's being said to us. 
word that's used to describe how the false teachers have entered also translate as to infiltrate. And when they succeed, they bring with them false teachings that infect and lead the church down the wrong path. The main group from the era of this letter's writing, which is roughly the first century, was a group called the Nicolaitans, who, according to the best of my research, were compromising scriptures for acceptance from the world. The main thing that the Nicolaitans were teaching is that the Christians didn't need to depart from the simple lifestyles that they once lived as a pagan. As I was researching for today's blog cast, may believe that Jude is referring to this group and to others who are also teaching similar things. A quick side note, I do have a dedicated blog cast about why we need to put to death the entirety of our flesh, which is going to be called Simple Yet Profound. I'll be coming out on the 25th of March, so please stay tuned for that and tell your friends about it so they can check in. Going back to what we're talking about, I'm going to change gears a little bit and use a analogy that I think understands and illustrates my point quite well. When a movie or a TV show has a stealth mission, that usually follows a predictable format. First, we get the mission briefing telling us the objective and what our protagonist is up against. Then the infiltration sequence actually begins. We will get many shots of film that show how the team or one individual moves forward to achieve their goal. Something we might see in these shots is an incompetent or bored guard or guards who are not very diligent since in their minds nothing ever happens. It's just another boring shift. Now this exists as a staple in these films for a reason. It tells the audience that there are many guards but they just need the motivation to actually get into high gear. In a film that is usually when the infiltrators will make their moves to the blind spots to achieve their objective thus showcasing how the lack of diligence for the guards is actually going to cost the guards in their ability to do their job. But there's also another staple, that is a small group or one person who actually cares about doing their job and making sure that it's done the right way. They are the ones who will realize something is wrong and who will sound the alarm and will sound the alarm. That's what causes the tension in the film to rise and we're all left on our seats wondering it will be a successful mission or a failed one. And I chose this analogy because it illustrates in a nice way how false doctrine can slip into the church should the congregation not know their scriptures. The analogy in this script, the analogy that I'm using, which has the guards, the guards are the church members, and it's beyond just the pastors and the board members. This job also falls to the lay folk and the common people since we have a personal responsibility that we live godly lives and truly understand them. It's only our, by knowing our Bibles and being dedicated to having a correct understanding and, and interpretation of the Word of God that we can tell if the teaching is wrong. Now, John Cooper, who is the bassist and lead vocalist for the rock band Skillet, began his podcast, which he named Cooper Stuff, in 2020, as a pushback against a group within Christianity that was compromising the truth of the gospel. But he was only able to recognize the teachings as wrong, for he knew what was right. In verse 16, Jude gives a quick description of the actions of these compromising teachers, quick to judge them by, so to speak. Now, while we're here at the quick moment, I know that there are some who say we shouldn't judge others. While that is in a way true, 
and say we can also make an assessment of them. Proverbs verse chapter 20 verse 11 says, Even a child is known by his actions, so is their conduct really pure and right? That's making an assessment of the person by the way they act. And since we're talking about this, I also want to explain a common misunderstanding of the verse from Matthew, 5, Matthew chapter 5, and it's that in that segment, it's talking about the way we judge others will be the same way that we are also judged. So, let's go look at what Jude says in verse 16 about the false teachers. He says, They are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desire, they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. So, Scripture is eternal truth and it remains relevant at all times. I'm going to get back to this for a quick moment, but I want to talk about the flattery before I continue on the eternal truth aspect of Christianity and of God's word. But let me first expound about expound upon flattery because of play into this whole thing. So by definition, flattery is when we give praise to an excessive amount to gratify the assurance that something is right or to display something as favorable. One of the ways this happens is through not standing firm against society's push to normalize sin. Maybe it's following the big the crowd of what is the big thing on social media. As an example, you might conform to that. I know I can go down one of many rabbit holes if I want to on this subject, and there are many others who have, but the point that I'm trying to make here is that when we as Christians begin to value and we begin to value the opinions of society above that of, above those of God, we begin to get on shaky ground for our theology. As preaching things for the sake of being accepted becomes a priority, there inevitably comes to a point where we must choose between compromising truth or remaining steadfast again and strengthening what remains. When they compromise for the sake of remaining accepted by the world, the division that is spoken about by Jude in later chapters, I mean later verses, will arise. It is because there's a division between what is true and that which is wrong. Pretty much the biblical view on an issue, any issue, and then there are those who want to have society's new opinion on this subject in order to remain popular. Our job as the faithful who haven't compromised comes to snatch them out of the fire as Jude, as Jude says in verse 23. On a complete different side note, that is a hard phrase to say when you've been busy with a bunch of other things. Anywho, I return to reading and not comment and not comp and not complaining on how hard this is today. So as Joe as Jude was saying to us in verse 23 that our job in the times of division is to snatch out the, of the fire the people who have been led astray. And there are many who believe that division shouldn't happen within the church. I agree. But the tr when the truth is perverted and leaders don't want to submit to God's true authority, the only available option, if they do not want to be reconciled, is for us to separate ourselves from them. Think of it as... <gasps> Sorry about that. 
So think of it as a sur think of this division as a surgery that cuts away necrotic flesh that is infected by bacteria for the sake of saving the body. Now, remember what I mentioned about scripture being eternal truth? Well, we're going to be coming back now to it. As the church stood strong at the beginning, names and insults began to be thrown our way, and they were permitted to metaphorically bury us. And from there, it escalated from basic insults and reputation tarnishing to actual threats. If they don't agree with the societal push deeper into sin. I'm going to go off script and quickly add that I'm talking about the church in the West. I will be adding that to the blog after I'm done with the recording. But I just want to make sure that I'm being very clear here that I'm talking about the push in the West. Not just that about society as general as in human sinfulness, but also the Western society, which has a long history of being Christian. And... I just want to make sure that's clear what I'm talking about. But also does apply to the rest of church history as the world, the sinful world, doesn't like us. And that's something I want to be clear, and it's that as we have allowed things in the world to metaphorically bury us, it has increased from one place to another. It's gone from our reputation to going against us physically. Now, in the West, and primarily in the United States, the most recent ones are the subjects of sexual ethics and that a preborn child needs to be protected from death in the womb due to abortion. Now we're going back to the script. The fact that God's laws are eternal means that they are unchanging and never lose relevancy to human society and culture. Because of this, they always have the power to convict people of wrongdoings in their life. Due to this, there are many who try and pick and choose the parts of the Bible they follow, making them susceptible to false teachings and doctrine. And thus, the importance of making sure we know the truth and give gentle correction to others that save them from being ensnared into crooked ways becomes more evident to us. I want to wrap this up by saying that we shouldn't fear holding our leaders to God's standards since they have agreed to be held by them. God's word is something that must be kept as our end-all be-all when it comes to morality, as they never fail. When someone teaches something that is different, it needs to be analyzed to see if it's compatible with the scriptures. In doing so, it may help prevent the bad doctrine from spreading. Or if you can't stop it from taking over your church, you can be someone to snatch others from the fires that will result from it. Do not be afraid of division if it causes reconciliation and the renewed lordship teachings of Lord Jesus in the lives of others. Until next time, keep true in faith and seek the Lord's presence and favor above else. Repent of your sins at the time of convictions and pursue righteousness, for that is what allows him to grant power for his glory. May he be strengthened in this. Amen.